Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Before we get to today's show, can you take care of something for us? Please rate and review Health Now wherever you get your podcasts. It will help other listeners find out about us. And if you haven't already, be sure you subscribe to the show too. You wouldn't want to miss an episode, would you? Thank you. Now, on to the show. Let's face it. We've all had a long, hard year or so of hearing one bad news story after another on a personal, national, or even global scale. It's enough to make you wonder, what if it's always going to be like this and things never get better or spiral even further? If you find yourself thinking things can only get worse in elaborate detail about what disasters are looming, you could be doing something called catastrophizing. We've asked clinical psychologist Seth Gillihan, who blogged about this topic recently for WebMD, to join us and tell us more about it. Welcome back to the podcast, Seth. Thanks, Carrie. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you. First, can you tell us in a nutshell, what exactly is catastrophizing? And can you give us an example? Sure. It's when we expect uh, the, the worst possible outcome to happen. So, so, and usually with scant evidence. So this happened to me recently. Uh, I, I, I cited in, in the blog a time when I'd cut my finger and, and, uh, and expect, expect that I was going to, I didn't expect, but, but had the, the sudden thought, oh no, what if this turns into a, you know, a bad infection and it gets into my bloodstream and I have to go to the hospital and all that based on, you know, just this, this little cut that turned out to be nothing. So recently I had a, a, a fairly similar experience where I had this unexplained bump that was kind of swollen and red on one of my knuckles. And similar thing, I was like, oh, what could that be? And so it's, it's not unusual at all to, for our minds to jump to the worst case scenario. But we, so, so just because we're catastrophizing doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. Uh, and and we're, we're probably always going to have times when we do that, at least to some extent. But we, we don't have to be at the mercy of those imagined catastrophes and we'll I'm sure we'll talk about ways that we can can get out from under catastrophizing. Right. So is it more of just kind of a bad mental habit or is it part more, could it be at times part of a mental health condition? Well, it could definitely be part of a mental health condition. It's certainly a big part of a lot of types of anxiety conditions like obsessive compulsive disorder or generalized anxiety. But again, it's not something that's, that's we should necessarily think of as a disorder or part of a disorder. It's in, in part, it's just kind of the way that our, our minds are wired because there is, there's something helpful about being able to imagine the worst case scenario, because then you know, we can, we can plan for the worst. It just doesn't always lead to, to our happiness. I heard someone say recently, you know, there's, there's this idea of hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And this person said, a variation on that, something like, well, you know, you have to hope for the best and expect the worst. Mm. But I think there's a big difference between preparing for the worst and expecting the worst. I think that's, that's where catastrophizing comes in is when we start to imagine that the worst thing that could happen is the most likely thing that could happen. And thankfully, the worse something is, usually the less likely it is to actually happen. 
That makes, that's a really helpful distinction because I certainly, I am a person who, you know, kind of tends to think about the worst case scenario and just kind of thinking to myself, you know, if I plan for the worst case scenario, if I anticipate it, then I, at least if it happens, I'll be prepared. And if it doesn't, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Right. Yes. And there's, there's some of that that seems to be the case that, that it can be helpful to always have pleasant surprises and to rarely have bad surprises. But at the same time, we do suffer needlessly if we imagine that, you know, all these terrible things are going to happen. And, and yeah, most of the time, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, we, I think we know or, or can understand rationally that the really bad things happen less often than things that are okay or even good things. But because those scary thoughts are so activating and they grip our minds so readily, it is easy to have this, this automatic thought process where the, okay, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? Oh, that's the worst. Okay, that's what's, that's what's probably gonna happen. When again, probably the opposite is true. If it's the worst we can imagine, it's, it's on the lower end of probability. Right. So if you catastrophize, what are, like truly catastrophize, not just sort of thinking, what is the worst thing that could happen? Maybe it will happen. Um, what are the consequences of truly catastrophizing? Why is it so bad for us or potentially so bad for us? Well, it, it doesn't feel good for one thing. Right. It, it, <laughs> it's, right. it's stressful and uh, it, it, it's not good for our bodies. Certainly in the long run, if we're doing a lot of that and living in that constant state of, of kind of fight or flight, like I'm, I'm preparing to do battle with this terrible thing that's coming. It also can, can wear away at our, our sense of, of self-efficacy that if it always feels like we're at the mercy of these terrible things that are happening, we can, can start to feel maybe unconsciously kind of like a victim of our circumstances and forget that in fact, whatever does end up happening, even if it's not good, is something that we'll deal with. That if, if, if the time comes that we'll, uh, we'll gather our resources and take care of what we need to. That makes sense. Sometimes though, you know, things do go wrong. Um, maybe not everything becomes disastrous, but things can certainly go off the rails from time to time. So if we dismiss that possibility, do we risk becoming, you know, Pollyannas who just can't really handle the challenges that life, you know, throws in our path sometimes? You know, it's a great question. And that's why when, when I'm working with someone who's dealing with, with these kinds of scary thoughts, the idea is not to brainwash ourselves into just thinking that everything is going to be fine and nothing bad is going to happen and things are going to work out. Most of the time, that's the case. But as you said, bad things do happen and sometimes terrible things happen and sometimes things that are worse than we've imagined happen. And so the idea isn't to, to trade one fantasy for another, to trade the fantasy of something terrible happening for this, fan, this sort of fantastical world in which nothing bad happens because it's not true for one, but also it's not a very stable mindset to adopt because it's so easily disproved. As soon as we, we encounter something that, that defies our expectations and something bad happens, then we think, oh, great, like I 
I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm never going to let my guard down. Mm-hmm. So the, the real, the real relief that we can find comes not from trying to brainwash ourselves in the opposite direction, but from recognizing that our minds are always telling stories and that we don't have to live in those stories. And we get out from under the story by, first of all, just recognizing it by saying, oh, okay, this feels true. It feels like this is something that's going to happen now because I thought about it. But I, I recognize at least on one level that this is my mind and it's, it's making up the story. It feels like news, but in fact, it's, you know, it, it belongs on the opinion page, you know, mm. or maybe it's, it's fake news and maybe asking ourselves, okay, is there another alternative? Is it possible that the only outcome of this little Nick on my finger is that I went, I, I end up in the ICU Okay, well, it could happen, but could also happen that that it's sort of no story at all that it it heals without incident and like like basically every other cut I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so and and it turned out that's what happened again, right? And 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 <laughs> twice again, counting the other little blip on my on my knuckle. Oh so, gosh. You still yeah. have all your, you still have all your fingers. It sounds like <laughs> as of this recording, I still have all my fingers. That's great. <laughs> I mean, there was, I, I even have the tip of my thumb, which I severed. At, at oh, wow. Oh uh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah trigger alert. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was chopping an onion and the onion rolled over and there was my thumb where the onion should have been. Oh. And so I, I mentioned that not to, not to give people the shivers, but, uh, but because, you know, if I told myself like, like, it's fine, you're never going to cut yourself. How would that happen? Well, I've cut myself plenty of times, uh, but it's, it's, and, and then that time I actually, you know, I had to go to urgent care. I had to, uh, it, it, actually, I can't believe it grew back because it was kind of a flat top oh, for wow. a while. You know, my family would, <laughs> would tease me about my flat top thumb. <laughs> <laughs> But, but you're these, doing okay. You've made I'm it. I'm <laughs> doing okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm back in the kitchen. Uh, I've, I think I've cut myself with probably the same knife since then, but, but, you know, thankfully life goes on. That is true. And I'm, I'm certainly thankful that <laughs> things go on and you're, you're still in the kitchen using even the same knife. So that's encouraging. <laughs> no catastrophizing here. <laughs> well, you know, it is interesting that, that for a while after that, I mean, you know, it was a traumatic uh event. And I did have, you know, it ran through my mind over and over for a while. And I thought about, oh my goodness, all those times when I was not as careful as I should have been, and I could have cut myself. And so I was definitely more cautious for a while and, and continued to be more cautious. But, um, but yeah, again, the, these relatively low probability things don't happen that often. And we can find ways to, uh, you know, avoid them if I don't want to go blithely into, into the kitchen saying, well, I got that out of my system. That'll never happen again. <laughs> but, you know, recognize the risk and you know, keep that thumb out of harm's way. Right. When would you know that catastrophizing has become a problem? Or, I mean, it sounds like maybe it's something that's hard to recognize in yourself. Is that the case? It can definitely be hard to recognize because our own stories are so easy to believe. 
So talking with someone else can definitely help. I mean, if, if we're often sharing our catastrophes with other people, they may be telling us already, like, I think you're making a mountain out of a molehill, or maybe they're even telling us, I think you're catastrophizing. So it's, it's really helpful to talk to other people to get perspective. But if we want to try to assess ourselves, it can help to, you know, if you're upset by thoughts, just to write them down, write down, okay, what, what is it that I'm imagining will happen? And then, you know, maybe compare what you're afraid is going to happen with the evidence that that's going to happen. Maybe from similar times in the past, or if you can talk to other people, like, you know, if, if you've experienced this before, like, did it, did what I'm afraid of actually happen? Or if it's, you know, if it's COVID related, you can uh, you know, look at um, statistics on and how likely if, if we are infected, how likely a, you know, a terrible outcome is, or if we have a symptom that could be COVID, we can think about, okay, have I realistically, you know, have I realistically been exposed recently? So, so I think it, it takes more deliberateness to do it for ourselves, but it definitely helps to have a, a third party to kind of help us check our reality. Yeah, to kind of hear the things that you're telling yourself and saying, that doesn't really match with, with what I think is, is likely going on. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. So let's talk about what helps stop this. What is the first step? How do you change your mindset so you can stop doing it? Well, yeah, the first step again is just to see that story mm. and get and get in the habit of recognizing that not everything that you think is true and not every thought that you have is a direct read on reality. That most of it is really an interpretation of what's happening or what has happened or what could happen. Once we make that realization, then so much falls into place. A lot of the time we don't have to do real kind of wrestling with those thoughts or, or some hardcore, you know, looking at the evidence for and against just recognizing like, Oh, right. My mind tells stories. This is one of them. Something different could happen. That's often really liberating in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I also like to address what's happening in the body because our, when our nervous systems get turned on through these scary thoughts, it can, that, that, that bodily sense of threat, you know, where maybe my heart starts pounding, my stomach's tight, maybe I'm sweating, that can reinforce this belief in my mind that something terrible is imminent. So we can directly dial down the body's response by tapping into our parasympathetic nervous system. That's the, the antidote to our sympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. And an easy way to do that is through the breath. The breath is a direct dial into our autonomic nervous system, and specifically the, the calming part, that parasympathetic part. So taking a few calming breaths, just you know, breathing in for a couple seconds, doesn't have to be terribly deep, just a nice full breath in and then a long, slow exhale, really extending the exhale. That's where you get the the main activation of the parasympathetic system and do that a few times. And that can, can often be a, a pretty quick reset where then as, as the body calms, then the mind starts to come back to center. We can think more realistically, more rationally. Right. Sort of get your 
get your the wheels to stop spinning just for a minute and get your center back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of saying it. So what if the catastrophizer isn't you, but it's a partner or another loved one? Is there anything that you should, or maybe even that you shouldn't say to them? For instance, does it help to be, you know, very logical with them, you know, pointing out what's not likely and here are all the reasons why? You know, that's usually not terribly effective. Mm -hmm. It's, it's maybe marginally better than saying something like, stop that. Right. Which also doesn't tend to be very helpful. <laughs> or you're or being very... ridiculous, probably also not helpful. <laughs> oh man, that is, that is, yeah, that's, that's definitely not a, not something <laughs> someone wants to hear or is probably going to receive very well. Right. Because our, our stories, again, they, they feel so believable. So I think, you know, if we can talk to someone as, as if what they're thinking on, on one level makes sense. Like, all right, that's, yeah, I understand. That's something that, that could happen. But then, you know, encouraging them, you know, it's, but, you know, maybe there are other things that could happen. Maybe, maybe uh, things won't turn out as badly as you fear. I wouldn't tend to take a, a heavy handed approach with it because it, it's just, we're not likely to be able to convince someone if they're really in the, in the throes of, catastrophizing. Um, and, and if we're pushing too hard on, no, no, everything's going to be fine. That can actually reinforce the opposite feeling because we already know on some level that things might be fine, but then a part of us is afraid that they won't be. So if somebody seems ridiculously unconcerned, then that can, can cause us to kind of polarize and crank up the, the other end of that spectrum and say, no, no, you don't understand. It's, it's going to be terrible. That that's definitely what this person was thinking, and I'm I know I'm going to lose my job. So, just like we would do for ourselves, you know, we don't want to hit ourselves over the head, figuratively speaking, with alternatives, but just invite ourselves to consider. You know, maybe there's another way of thinking about this. And and in our response, I think modeling that parasympathetic uh, activation where I'm not getting all worked up saying, hey, calm down, calm down. It's going to be okay. Which the words that I'm saying are saying one thing, but my emotion, which is probably, probably has a bigger impact in that moment is saying something else. So we want to want to uh, match our tone uh, with, with the message we're trying to convey. That makes a lot of sense. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> match your, your tone of voice. And certainly with the, the message you're trying to send makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that can, that can lower the probability of uh, unnecessary conflict to where on top of that catastrophizing, then now we're, now we're in a big argument. Right. What if your child is the one who is catastrophizing? I would imagine a lot of parents, um, you know, especially considering the year that we've all just had, um, maybe have seen their child doing a little bit of this since things were, you know, kind of scary from a child's eyes for quite a while. So what are some things you could do right away to help a child feel better? And then also what helps in the long run? Right. Yeah. Well, again, we want to, we want to meet our kids where they are and, um, validate on the one hand, like that's, yeah, that's a really scary thought that you're having um, and not, not tell them or, or even suggest that they're being ridiculous. And 
And in, in the same way with ourselves, you know, we don't want to try to talk ourselves out of, you know, nothing bad is ever going to happen. Uh, but, but reassuring our children that, that things are going to be okay. That, you know, if they're afraid that, you know, no one's going to like them at school, um, letting them know that's like, wow, what a, what a, what a sad thought. And uh, maybe gently you know, working through with them at their, obviously at their appropriate level, um, you know, times that might not have been the case, but, but not trying to, I mean, definitely not lying to them, not mm-hmm. trying to convince them that, no, everyone's going to like you because that's, it's probably not true. Maybe it is, but, but that also sends the message that you will only be okay if everyone likes you. And I think the most powerful thing we can learn for ourselves and that we can help our, our kids to start to understand is that being okay in life isn't about everything working out okay for you. That there is a deeper level of okayness and, and it's available even when things don't go our way, even when someone doesn't like you, even when you have a bad day, even when the thing you're afraid of happens that our happiness doesn't have to depend on the, the ups and downs of, of our fortunes, but we can find something deeper, something more robust. So to your question about the longer term, I think that's a big part of it. We want to be reassuring to our kids that, that things are going to be okay, that the adults are in charge, that you know, we don't want to saddle them with problems that are not theirs at this point, like managing the COVID crisis, for example, but letting them know that, that things are going to be okay, not because they're going to be perfect, but because you're going to have the strength that you need to meet every challenge that comes your way. That's a really powerful way to frame that. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, another concept that I think you and I have talked about before, which is this idea of resilience seems like these two things are, are very related. Definitely related. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Carrie. Yes, exactly. That, that we're, you know, there, there's this idea of, of humans as being, you know, so, some of us consider ourselves fragile, that we have to protect ourselves from bad things happening. And we certainly want to protect our loved ones, especially our, our youngest loved ones from bad things. But in reality, there, and this, this comes out of uh, work by Jonathan Haidt and others, we're, we're, not just, we're not just robust. You know, that's the idea that, that, no, you can weather storms. But we're, we're anti-fragile. So th- this is captured in, in the, the saying, what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. That we actually require kind of, kind of like, I mean, the image that comes to mind is bread dough. I used to bake bread all the time and, and you make a really nice loaf of bread by kneading it. And mm. through the kneading, you activate the gluten. This was before gluten was bad for you. <laughs> you activate the, the, the gluten, that protein in the dough, and that creates the elasticity and the, the strength and the structure of the dough so that when you bake it, uh, you get a really nice uh, crumb you know, the really nice texture of, of the loaf. And mm-hmm. so, so we, it's not just that we'll be okay through dif- difficult times, but we need those challenges to temper us and to make us stronger and help us grow into the people 
that we're destined to be. That is very helpful. Great advice. Um, Seth Gillahan, thank you so much for chatting with us about this today. We really appreciate it. It's a very timely topic for sure. Great to speak with you, Carrie. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. One more thing before we go, though. Please make sure you've subscribed to our show so you don't miss any of our great episodes. And just a reminder that you can keep up with WebMD's coverage on coronavirus and all things health and wellness on our social channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hope you'll join us next time.